Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I think one of the most amazing inventions in the modern era is Google. Like, we've created a lot of different things, but Google is something that transformed everything. So think about this. In a couple of keystrokes, with a computer that now sits inside of your pocket, you can find out how to make a southwestern Mexican bake. At the same time, you're able to find out who the 23rd president of the United States was, which is exactly. Benjamin Harrison, who was from August 20th, 1833 to March 13th, 1901, because I Googled it. I had no idea. We also find out where to find the cheapest and most highly rated phone, where to find the cover for that phone, how to find a way not to get your screen scratched on that phone. All we have to do is put into Google, boom, 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 and we are all set. One of my favorite things of all of Google is learning how to fix stuff. Now, Fixing things is not popular in our current generation. Our generation is very like, let's take it, let's throw it away, let's buy the new one. But I love fixing things. And I didn't know how to fix stuff until there was Google. So I now had the ability with a couple of keystrokes to find out, and I I exchanged the entire radiator on my car, which is a scary feat. But because of Google, I could do it. I found out how to build shelving for my garage. I found out how to do small engine repair. I found out all these things, you name it, because of Google. And because of Google now, I have the ability to look like a master of being able to repair things. Because before that, I would take a hammer into a plumbing repair. I would sit under my sink with a hammer and like a crescent wrench kind of, and just kind of pound on pipes till something stopped leaking. I had no idea what I was doing. Google. So I really start to grow to like to fix things. And if you're a fixer, you know what this is about. Fixers have this unique thing in life where there's this sense of accomplishment to see something that was once useless become useful again. And as a dad of a teenager, and two teenagers now actually, um, my entire fatherdom was fixing things, at least with crazy glue of some sort. And so when I got to be able to fix like real stuff, like cars and like engines, I'm like, this is stinking manly. Like, I have arrived, right? But there's something about this accomplishment. Like, I've done something. Like, if I did not fix this thing, we would have probably thrown it away. The other side of it is I have this accomplishment of saying, you know, I just saved us hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Because of a couple of quick searches, instead of calling the repairman, I went to Google. I ordered something of Amazon. It arrived the next day. Now our ice maker works in our refrigerator, and I take a bow to my family, in which they don't care. They just want ice, right? (laughs) So I feel good to myself, and then I just post it on Facebook. I fixed it, so my friends at least like what I do. But like, I love the fact that I get to repair things, but we live in a disposable society. We live in a society where everything that we get, we think if it's broken, let's just throw it away and buy something else. It's easy, it's quick, it's cheap. Amazon has it to my door the next day. But it didn't used to be like that. Generations ago, you had to learn how to fix stuff, and there wasn't Google. 
You had to be passed down from your neighbor or your father or your mother or your friend, and they would take you and they would put the tool in your hand and they would show you how to fix this. But it wasn't just fixing the problem that was there. Generations taught generations how to solve problems because things may change in an engine, but you have to know how the engine works so that if a different engine breaks, you have the idea of how to fix it. This was passed on from generation to generation. And that generation didn't simply get something new because something new came out. In our disposable society, we take the computers in our pockets. We say, I really like this computer in my pocket. I can call people. I can search things. I can play games. I can watch videos. And you know what? There's a newer computer to put in my pocket. So I take my old computer in my pocket, and I throw it away, or I recycle it, also known as throwing it away. I get rid of that phone because there's a newer version with a newer camera that's better. My screen cracks. Ah, well, I'm up for I could get a new phone if I wanted to, so we will spend tons of money just to have the newest version. The older generations thought would think that's completely insane. Why would you throw away a perfectly good working phone simply because it has a scratch on the screen? You can fix it. Things have changed dramatically. In 2018, some researchers in the UK did some research about this disposable society. Like, what is happening within our culture? And if you know anything about culture and study sociology, the last 100 years has been the largest change in overall cultural uh, sociological shift than any time in human history. Think about the year 1920 and think about the year 2020. Like, we're not even in the same league because of technology. The technological era has changed everything. We go 2020, now think what life's gonna be like in 2120, scary. Like things are changing so fast. And within the last 50 years, things have changed so fast. In the last 20 years, things have changed so fast. And the introduction of the iPhone changed everything. The way that we interact, the way that we communicate, the way that we talk to each other, or for some families, don't talk to each other, everything has changed. So this disposable society is breeding in us when something's broke, just throw it away. It doesn't matter. In 18, 2018, they did this research in London. They found that 22 million small pieces of furniture, more than 11,000 bicycles, and over 28 million toys were thrown away each year when they were broken. Think about that. Think of all 28 million toys because they're broken. A little bit of glue, we can fix it. They're just simply thrown away. 42% of those surveyed, even though they throw everything away, say, I wish I had the ability to fix it instead of throwing it away. But at the same time, we have Google. But I'd rather just throw it away. Counselor Clyde Lokes from the Waste Authority said this, we've got ourselves into a bit of a rut, and it's not just a London thing. It's not just a UK thing. It's a global thing. We have this throwaway culture. It's just easier and more convenient to go and buy a replacement. It is easier and it is more convenient to go buy a replacement. I just want you to soak on that for a second. And I want you to think about your relationships that you have. Relationships have now become easier to throw away and get a replacement. The workforce now has become easier to throw away an employee and just get someone else new. 
I mean, generations ago, there used to be this loyalty to a company. My grandmother worked for a company for 50 years. She retired. There's this thing called pension. If you have a pension, my generation doesn't even know how to spell it because there are no pensions for us. But there was loyalty to stay with a company. There's a reason to stay year upon year upon year. They were grateful for the fact that you just didn't jump in and jump out. But now everything has changed. Everything has changed to say, if you're a problem, I'll throw you out because you are replaceable. There's a belief system inside of the church as well that you are replaceable. Not here, you're not. Not at Mosaic. We don't believe that. But they're even inside the church. You are replaceable. You are not replaceable. You are unique with your story and your brokenness and everything that God's done inside of your life And true relationship says, I'm going to put my fat in the fire, and even though things are hard, I'm with you through to the end. But think about relationships. When things get hard, when I don't like what's going on, it's easier to say, I want you out of my life. I'll find somebody else. When that friendship gets hard, I don't like conflict, so I'm just going to simply say it's better to just We call it ghosting. So if you don't know what ghosting is, I'm speaking to the younger generation or older generation. Ghosting is this idea, I just disappear. I stop texting. I stop talking. I'm off of social media. I block you and everything. I kick you off my Instagram like you are gone. We ghost you. Ghosting is the new form of you're dead to me. I've moved on. And because you're so easily replaceable, I'll find someone else. But those who've had a true relationship, a real relationship with somebody, where they know you and you know them, you know that that person's not replaceable. In fact, they say that the average man is likely to find, less likely to find one good friend in their life more now than ever. Less likely, more than ever, to find one good friend, someone who knows you and that you're known. It's hard. It's hard because people believe that everyone's replaceable now like an iPhone, like a broken toy. I'll just find somebody else. When you make me mad, I'm going to kick you out. I'm not willing to do the hard work to make sure that you know that though we're in a hard time, I still love you and I'm with you to the end. It's hard. What's happened in our way of thinking? And that's where we're going to enter into this beautiful passage of Scripture. Jesus enters into a relationship with somebody and says, you're not replaceable. You are worth fixing. John chapter 4, we're going to begin verse 1. It's page 752 in Bibles underneath chairs. Feel free to grab your phones or iPads. Um, We're not going to have this up on the slides right now because it's a long passage. But please feel free to listen in. I'll be reading it. But if you'd like to read along, please do as well. John chapter 4. This is the account of a story when Jesus approaches a woman at a well in Samaria. And if you've been in church and heard this story before, I want you to listen to it through different eyes this time. And if this is the first time hearing it, I want you to listen to this through the concept of how Jesus engages with people who aren't churchy. Listen to this story of how Jesus engages people outside of the religious realm, okay? John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Looks like there was rumors and drama back in Jesus' day too, huh? So he left Judea and he went at once more to Galilee, back to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us his well and drank it from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw here this water. He told her to go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, he replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit, and in the Spirit and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus sits down in the middle of the day. It's hot. We're in the Middle East. We would love a hot day right now in February in Wisconsin. So let's put ourselves and pretend like we remember what it's like when the sun is actually hot. And he's sitting there. He's on this journey. The beautiful story about Jesus is like he's, he shows his humanity. He's tired. The, the disciples go into town to grab something to eat. Jesus sits down at the well to have an appointment time with this woman who comes up. And he breaks all cultural norms, understanding multiple aspects of what's happening inside of this story. First of all, she is a Samaritan. The Samaritan and the Jewish people were not friends. They were hated rivals. The Jews saw them as this half-breed who bred, who bred with other non-Jewish people, brought their gods into worship. So their worship style was kind of a little bit Jewish and kind of a little bit of the surrounding areas. They worshiped multiple gods, but Yahweh was kind of in there. But they did not keep Yahweh as the one true God. So the Jews despised them. And they wouldn't even walk near them. In fact, the Jewish people would walk all the way around to not have to walk through Samaria. So much they hated these people. They didn't want their sandals to touch the dirt of the ground that was Samaria. Second of all, he breaks the culture by speaking to a woman. In Jesus' culture, women were not allowed to be taught and spoken to in public this way. Jesus sits down and starts talking with her, not only talking like, hey, how's your day? Can I have a drink of water? He starts talking theology with her. He's discussing the way of God. He's discussing these things, and she had some knowledge, right? She starts explaining, I know there's a Messiah coming, and I know some things. So he starts telling her, and it's like, look, you know some things about God, but I'm telling you, I'm the one who's coming to save you. So now you've got this 
Jesus sitting here, he's tired. He's like, hey, why don't you give me a drink of water? Great entry line. I don't suggest trying in today's age, you know, right? But he sits down like, let's break the ice. I could use a drink of water. You've got a bucket. She's like, I can't get you water. I'm a Samaritan woman. You can't even be talking to me. And he's like, no, 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 I'm here to talk to you. I want to talk about something great. I'm here to save you. He breaks all of the rules in this simple statement. If we look at it from Western culture eyes, we're going to be like, no big deal. I do that at Starbucks every other day. This is not what's going on. He's breaking the rules. His reputation was on the line. If word got out that this Jesus was sitting in Samaria talking to a woman about the things of God, the word would trickle back and it would destroy him. Rumors would start going. People would start talking. All the drama would start building. And he doesn't care. Didn't care. I love it. Because in his breaking of everything that's going on, He's doing something even more important. He's looking at a broken, hurting woman who has gone through a lot. Why does she have five husbands? We don't know. We don't know what's going on exactly in the culture, but we do know this culturally, that it is much, much easier for a man to divorce a woman than a woman to divorce a man. So the odds are, if we look just culturally, now we're going to read between the lines here, culturally, that these men would have divorced her. So she gets married, and he leaves her. And she finds another man, and he leaves her. And another man, and he leaves her. And another man, and he leaves her. Now she's like, maybe this is the one. She's hurting. She's looking for purpose. She's looking for a reason of living. Like, what's my identity? Because again, in the culture of Jesus' time, women had no rights. Like, they didn't have any rights So here, she is dependent upon this man to provide for her, to learn, like all these, she's dependent on this relationship, and she's been rejected five times. I wonder if she's just waiting for number six. Then comes this man named Jesus, does something completely different. She's so surprised that he would talk to her. She's kind of taken back that that, she, that he's talking God with her, and she starts asking some questions, like, I've heard some stuff here, but I, I want to really pull, uh, focus on one thing here about Jesus, because this is, this is mind-blowing, and if we don't get this about him, we're not going to understand the totality of who he is. Jesus cares more for people than he does for cultural, political, and religious divides. Jesus cares more about people than he does about cultural, religious, political divides. When Jesus came, he didn't come for the reasons of sitting here on the line of the culture, on the lines of the politics, on the lines of what religious people came. He cared about people so immensely. That was his heart and his drive. And if you read the red letters of Scripture over and over and over again, he's saying the kingdom of God is what matters. His kingdom come. We need to live the way that God has for us as humanity. I'm going to show you what that means. I'm bringing in a whole new way of living. And in the kingdom of heaven, there is not man nor female. There are his children. There are not Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or whoever else are out there now these days. There are just his children. There was not Catholic, Lutheran, non-denominational, alliance, evangelical free. There are his children. Children. He is so impassionate. He loves us so much 
that he sits down and says, I want you to know about the kingdom of heaven. He was on a mission. And so he sits at this well and starts to talk with her. Rejected, broken, hurting. Can you relate it all to this girl right now? Like, have you been rejected that many times? Have you been rejected by family, by friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, rejected over and over again? Have you felt that place you've been rejected by your employer when they said you're disposable? You're easily replaceable? I can find someone else who's a younger version of you who can do it for less money? You know that feeling? Have you ever had that feeling? It's terrible. And then Jesus swoops into this story and says, no, 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 no. You're not replaceable. You're worth fixing. He is so impassioned with people, he breaks all of the lines that are formed. Now, in our disposable society, this is something that we have generational gaps. I was talking with my mom about this and what was like growing up in her generation, which is so different from growing up um, Gen X and my generation to millennials, now to Generation Z. We were talking about why is there so much um, conversation about the, how disposable people are. And I said, you know, for me, in my generation, everything I have for retirement, I have to put into something. So I have to invest into my 403 or 401. I've got to put my own money aside to be able to make it once I retire. On top of that, I'm paying a terrible amount of money for health care. Like, I asked my mom, how much did it cost to have me in 1976? She said, zero dollars. And I giggled. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. Like, I, if you have a high deductible plan of $4,000, $5,000, $6,000, on top of having to pay every month $200, $300, $400, like, we are just getting swallowed alive. At the same time, in this generation, the school loans that are mounting and are so high, kids are coming out of like $200,000 of school loans, so much school, and they're like, look, we just want to go someplace where we can get paid, and we'll just go anywhere. We're dying financially. I said, Mom, tell me about what it was like for you. She's like, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. And so the quickness of this being disposable is like, look, because things are so hot, as soon as someone else comes in, we'll find someone else. And then the loyalty for workers who've worked in places for three, 30, 40, 50 years. Ah, we're paying too much for this person. Let's kind of move in someone who's 20 years old. It's terrible. It makes your self-worth shrink to feel like you're not worth anything. If you've been in a relationship where the marriage ends or the relationship ends, you start to question, am I worth anything? That man or woman who said, I loved you, I loved you, I loved you, then I don't like you, I hate you, I'm divided by you, you start to say, where is my self-worth in this? Like, am I worth anything? If you are someone who's been through pain, perhaps you've been in some church environment, Perhaps you've been in a place where a mentor was pouring into you. When you enter into the spiritual world, and for those of you who are newer or not, maybe not believers yet, I want to just lower the bar for you because we're all human. We're going to mess up. So just because we enter into a church doesn't mean we have all the answers. So I want to be clear about that. But I also want to say there's a higher responsibility for us to love well like Jesus. That is why it's so important that we get this message into our hearts. Because if we don't love well, and if we treat people as disposable, we are going to break people's hearts. 
And there are a lot of you sitting here today because of that. You've been in a church environment where someone you trusted broke your heart, and then you ask the question. You start to say, God, are you even real? Is this real? What is this? That's why I love that we're mosaic. Broken, unique people brought together to bring something, to make something beautiful. The shattered remains of what life hands us, Jesus is saying to us, you're not replaceable. Instead, I've got something more beautiful for you. It's in the DNA of our name. Mosaic itself, think of all the shards of glass brought together, things that are broken, things that you would throw away, an artist takes, puts into a masterpiece, and then sells for millions of dollars or maybe for nothing on Etsy. But this beautiful piece of art brought together has made something beautiful. That's my Jesus. My Jesus takes things that are broken and he makes something beautiful out of it. And this woman at this well is broken. She has gone through a lot. She has gone through so much pain. And he says, I've got a beautiful purpose for you. I have something for you. But let's pause for a second and backtrack. Because when we are in pain, we try to find things to fill those gaps to satisfy us. Something when I feel like, what is my worth? What is my purpose? What can I do to fill the gap of this fact that I don't feel good? I feel like I'm a nobody. I feel like I'm replaceable. So we start putting all of our time, money, efforts into relationships that are good. We start to pull that relationship up to a high pedestal. We start to put our money, time, or our time and effort into finances. As long as I'm financially stable, I'm going to be 100% okay. Because even if I lose my job or even if so-and-so leaves me, it doesn't matter because I got a prenup and I got my money on the side, right? Like, I can take care of myself. I'll put my hope in my finances. Some of us put all of our energy into our work. If I work harder than everybody else, there's no way I can be replaceable. I will be the hardest worker, people will know who I am, and I will put all my energy into my work, and I will not pay attention to relationships being work. And for students, students, sometimes you put all of your energy into your sports, into your team, into your grades, into your band, into your extracurricular activities, whatever cool way that God made you, that you're doing things. You put all your energy into that and say, if I can do this, I know that I'll be successful, I will feel good. Because I believe I am in control. Control. But you're not in control. At any minute, at any day, those things can fall. Anytime we put our hope and our trust in anything other than Jesus Christ and the gospel that he's laid out for us, those things can crumble and fall. I know I've had many things crumble and fall in my life. I know, without even having to ask you, many things have crumbled and fallen in your lives sitting right now here at Mosaic. And I love this story. It gives me such a beautiful hope that Jesus takes this broken human and says, I'm going to give you something that you can't even imagine. I'm going to give you a water in which you're never thirsty again. I'm going to give you something that no man relationship's going to satisfy. I'm going to give you something, no matter what you dream of, will change your life forever. And it is a life with me. Maybe you've heard that before, and you're like, that's a, it's a great speech, Pastor. I really like your speech. You're animated. You kind of keep my attention. And I've heard this thing before. Like, I'm supposed to give, hey, give my life into Christ. But until you take all your chips on the table and push them in, you don't know what's going to happen. And this woman, 
at the well pushes all of her chips into the middle of the table. She takes all of her chips and says, you know what? We've been waiting for a Messiah. We're waiting for this. I've heard about this. Someone's going to save us. He's like, it's me. I'm the one. So now the story of this of this one flips. I want you to listen to the things that she does now that it flips. John chapter 4, we're going to go to 39 and 42. It'll be on the slides up as well if you don't have your scriptures with you. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This broken, unreligious, uneducated Samaritan woman hears about the Messiah, goes back, and the very first thing she does is she makes other disciples of Jesus. The very first thing she does when she finds out that there's a different life for her, her life transforms, she runs back to her town, and she's like, okay, super weird. I know you guys don't like me. I'm kind of an outcast, whatever. This guy told me all of my issues. He knew everything about me. He said he's the Messiah. You got to listen to this guy. This guy's going to change our lives. And so Jesus then goes to Samaria. He goes there, and now he's there for two days hanging out with them. And he's teaching him and telling him. And she's like, see, I told you, see, I told you. Like, well, we believe you, but we really believe him. And she's making disciples that are making disciples that are making disciples. She changed an entire area because Jesus changed her life. Because her hope now transferred from the fact of maybe I can find something to satisfy, something that will quench this thirst, something that will give me purpose. He says, I am your purpose. I have a life for you that's better. I am the one. And so they start to learn about this, like, we want what Jesus has. He is the one who's going to save us. So all of these people who are complete outsiders come to know him because of one woman. Do you believe you're so broken that Jesus can't change the world through you? Your story is too jaded. There's too much pain. Do you believe, because it's not true, that Jesus is looking at you like the woman at the well and said, you know, you have way too much baggage for me. I, 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 I don't even know how to fix the mess you've created. Therefore, I can't use you because it's not true. God is the God that fixes. He is the one who doesn't throw us away. You are not replaceable. You are you, uniquely created by God for the story in which he's placed you in. I want you to dream with me for a second. Let's pretend we're all the women of Samaria right now. We're all there. Poof. We go into our towns. You go into your neighborhood. You go into your place of work. You go to friends. You go to family and start to say, I understand and encounter who the real Jesus Christ is. And I'm going to tell you, he is the one who saved us all. And we can change the world. There are so many broken, lost people just like us that if we can get the word out of hope, we can change the world. Imagine what would happen to Washington County. Imagine what would happen to lives that are looking for something to satisfy when they find Jesus. And maybe that's you right now, that you're looking for something to satisfy. Nothing is quite getting it. It's Christ and Christ alone. 
Christ and Christ alone, because he takes this woman and makes an example to all of us and says this, look at her story, look at her culture, look at her background. Now that we understand what's in Middle Eastern culture and says, man, she just changed the world. Why can't you? This one woman, first thing, goes and makes disciples. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't know the Romans road, if you have those who are church people. She didn't go to Awana, those who are church people. She didn't know how to quote verses for those of you who do that. She knew that Jesus was the Savior, and she went to go tell other people that Jesus was the Savior. That's all it was. People said, I want Jesus as the Savior. Oh, very good. Hey, come hang out with us. And he sat there eating and hanging out with their most hated enemy. That's my Jesus. My Jesus loves broken people. My Jesus goes where other people won't go. My Jesus does what other people won't do. My Jesus finds broken people, heals them, and brings them back together. My Jesus gives purpose and reason for us to get our head off the pillow every single day because our lives are not about ourselves. It's about his kingdom. That is Jesus. His love, his kindness for that woman changed her life and the lives of people forever. That one moment one story written down over 2,000 years ago changed a woman's life that changed lives. Let's just dream, and I like making stuff up, so this is not in the Bible. We're going to make this up, right? What if you're sitting here today because one of your ancestors was at that, in that town? What if you're here today because your great, 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 somebody, I hope that's enough greats, whatever, it doesn't matter, right, was in that town who heard about Christ who passed on the story, who passed on the story, who passed on the story, passed on the story. From generations, you sit here because of that. What a dream. Is it possible? Why not? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something with one woman. What makes you believe that your great, 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 grandson or granddaughter is going to come to faith because of the work that you do because you believe in Christ? That other lives are transformed when you say, I'm pushing all my chips in and I'm all in. Jesus gives hope. So if you're not feeling hopeful today, I want to just give you as much hope as I can. Just know how much he loves you and say this, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter your current situation, no matter your past, Jesus' love is so much for you right now today. He loves you today and everything you're about to screw up as soon as you walk out of here it's already covered, and he loves you. And we all know Mondays are bad. I, saw, I see your posts on Facebook, right? Whatever happens on Monday, man, he, Jesus is in love with you. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, what else hope can I give you that no matter what happens, our Jesus is so in love with you, and he, as a good father, says you're worth fixing. I'm not going to throw you away. I know you're broken. You're worth fixing. Jesus has his plan. He has his purpose for all of us. And you are not replaceable. God didn't throw you away. Jesus came to give us an answer to fix the problem of sin that we created. And now, because of him, we have a purpose and hope in Jesus Christ. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.